always good when you get invited back someplace. <laughs> it's kind of like, ah, okay, this is a good sign. Um, let me just share with you just a, a few things that we have um, back at our table for you. Uh, these are uh, resources. Uh, we call it a power tool table because I'm a guy. Um, but uh, my, my first book, Do What Jesus Did, uh, the premise of the book is Jesus didn't come to show us what he could do as the son of God, but he came to show us what we could do. And to reinstate what the first Adam looked like, Adam and Eve would have been operating in dominion, power, and authority, but they gave that away uh, at the fall, and Jesus came to reinstate that to us. So when the scripture says he came to seek and to save that which was lost, I believe he's not talking about AKA the lost, um, but he's talking about uh, dominion power uh, that being reinstated to us. And so uh, we also have a, a workbook that goes with it. This is a uh, book that is filled with activations and equipping. It's like going to school. Uh, and uh, we are currently working on getting this. We have we just finished the last of our books as of yesterday, all being translated into Farsi. And so I'm excited about that. They are currently being circulated all over Iran. We're hearing, story, we're hearing stories and testimonies throughout Iran of them taking uh, these and, and uh, you know, how, and so those who donated to help us uh, in those translations, uh, thank you very, very, very much. We've had, uh, we've had all that done. We're currently working on the translation of this and our e-course and then several of our other materials that we're translating and getting those uh, subtitled and released into Farsi and also into Arabic. And so uh, we have do what Jesus did currently uh, in Arabic. We're waiting on funds for do greater things and identity thief, but all the others are translated in Farsi, so they can be they are being circulated again throughout Iran, but also Afghanistan and Tajikistan, wherever Farsi is being spoken. Uh, we're le releasing those, and of course, those are completely being given to them for free. So anyway, those uh, those. Um, 100% of the profit of our table goes to help our missions uh, throughout the world. And then also, um, this is a eight-part series that I did on the kingdom of God. Uh, and this is eight uh, CDs, uh, breaking down the kingdom of God, talking about not just living it as, not just understanding it in theory, but living it as a life of practice, living it as a practitioner and not just a theoretician. And so we want to see more of that happen throughout the world. We also have these jump drives, the black drives are all the audio teachings that are back at the table. The silver drives are all the video teachings. These end up being about a third of the price. Uh, if you end up getting both drives, you pretty much have the whole table. And so um, these are, are uh, when you buy one of these, you're sending three to the Middle East, uh, to the underground churches there. And so those are getting circulated. And then we have our, our t-shirts. Um, and this is our risk shirt. This is a small, it says a large, but I don't buy that for a second. But anyway, um, and this, uh, the smalls look like onesies to me. I'll just say it that way. But um, this is our risk shirt and how do you spell faith? R-I-S-K. So if you want to see more faith, you got to turn up the risk. If you want to see more things happen in faith, you got to crank up the risk. And so anyway, these are, uh, we, we, uh, 
you have people wear these doing church. People just keep stepping out to keep living that lifestyle of risk. We have several other uh, T-shirts back there as well. And so anyway, if you're interested in any of these, feel free to uh, visit our table. And uh, like I said, in doing that, you're also helping us in our missions. Thank you, ma'am. This is Tati. And she's the brains of the operation. I tell everybody, I'm the pretty face. She's the brains. My son Elijah, who's now traveling with us, he's the muscle. I mean, look at that Samson hair. How could you not have muscle without that sort of Samson-style hair? Uh, but uh, anyway, it's God's doing some great things, and we're excited to be a part of just what the Lord is doing on the planet. How many of you know, you know, whenever you go to different places of the world, you're not really, you're not taking Jesus there. Jesus has been working there for 2,000 years. You're just joining what Jesus is doing there. You know what I mean? You're just participating with what he's already doing and blessing and encouraging what he's doing. I told this to the first service, and I'll tell you too. I want to encourage you, Northwest Vineyard. Your place, your position is to be actively pursuing, actively, aggressively setting the atmosphere, not yielding to what uh, the pressure of the culture or the pressure of the atmosphere around it. You are called, this church is called not to be a thermometer, but a thermostat. You are not called to adjust to the culture around you. You are not called just to adapt. You are called to set the culture. You're called to set a kingdom culture. You are called to do that. Any atrophy that is setting in, anything that is, that is, hab- that is moving you to complacency, shake that off. Shake that garbage off. Because anything that moves you to that, anything that pushes you to the point to where you start pursuing safety rather than kingdom advancement, you are working for the other side at that point. And I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about the kingdom of darkness. The one thing, what, the, the clear objective, and I'm not saying people did this with ill intent, but I know the devil has done it with ill intent. And how many of you know, who is the ruler of this world currently? 2 Corinthians chapter 4 makes it pretty clear. Satan is the god of this world. We are here to topple him. We're not here to comply with him, but to topple him. And the biggest thing he wants to do is shut down the church. The biggest thing he wants to do is move a bunch of believers to a point where they pursue safety rather than advancement of the kingdom. You should be the most unsafe human beings on the planet. It's true. If that scares you or that disturbs you, good. Let it disturb you. Let it make you mad. Let it aggravate you. But let me tell you something. Let it drive you to the word of God and find out that it's the truth. We are not here to just be a compliant, roll along, do whatever is being told. I was watching, I was telling the first service, I was watching an interview where Anderson Cooper was interviewing a, a Catholic priest after they, they, the Supreme Court had, had uh, given uh, sanctity you know, for gay marriage and same-sex marriage. And, and, he was, he, and I'd never seen Anderson really grill anybody. You know, he's not really a griller. But he was sitting there grilling this, this Catholic priest saying, is the church going to obey the Constitution of the United States? Is the church going to comply with the Constitution and with what the Supreme Court, and he kept saying it over and over, and finally this Catholic priest stood up and said, Anderson, this is not the church of the United States of America. This is the church of Jesus Christ. We have one leader. We obey him and no other. 
And I was like, I'm Catholic. I'm that guy. Whatever that guy is, that's who I am. <laughs> Don't allow the enemy to hijack your mission and your purpose to where you shrink back in fear and think that you're following a crisis about self-preservation. You try to self-preserve, you'll lose everything. You will lose everything and live for nothing. Jesus never looked at the disciples and said, hey, this is all about your safety. Guys, whatever you do, be safe. <laughs> he looked at him and said, every one of you are gonna die. But on your way, you're gonna live the best life you've ever lived. You're gonna live what you were made to live. This is not about the avoidance of death or avoidance of any, any of that type of stuff. This is about living and expanding the kingdom. Why? We will be in eternity far longer than we will live here. Don't make your pursuit self-preservation. Don't make your pursuit. Be wise. Don't be stupid. But at the same time, don't just sit there and move into a place to where we shrink back and we pull away from the very thing that God has called us to as the church of Jesus Christ. And that is global transformation. I mean, in, in what I am doing, I mean, it has just been, you know, watching, you know, you know, all the flights shut down, watching everything shut down. When we had to play every, every month last year, I was supposed to be in the Middle East, throughout the Middle East, was supposed to be in Afghanistan, was supposed to be uh, in, uh, couldn't go to Iran, probably will be able to go, you know, uh, probably soon. But, um, Everything, just watching everything, was supposed to be back in Iraq, was supposed to be back in Turkey, was supposed to be back in Armenia, and just watching everything, everything just shut down, you know, and just seeing that happen. And I was sitting there going, man, this is, this is not right. This is not right. This is not the way that we're supposed to live. Let me tell you something. I had friends who were prophesying that the solution that God was releasing two vials of, of vaccines from heaven that were the answer Whoever that was laughing, amen. <laughs> if a vaccine from heaven could, could eliminate anything, why didn't God just send two vaccines from heaven rather than sending Jesus to the cross? Vaccine's not the solution. You know who the solution is? You. Christ in you is the solution. You start putting your hope in medicine, you're gonna get really disappointed really fast. You start putting, am I anti-medicine? No, I take a medication every day. Am I anti, am I anti anything that, that, that will help your, am I anti-doctor? No, I have a doctor. I have a chiropractor that I see every two weeks. Thank God for chiropractors. <laughs> am I anti, no. But when we put our hope in that, rather than putting our hope in what Christ has established and set up to bring transformation. We have missed it. Don't put your hope in, in, in remember the song of, of, the, of the Jewish slaves after, after the, you know, the Red Sea had folded up and covered over the Egyptian army. They said, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Our dependency is in the name of the Lord our God. It isn't in what man produces. Man will say one thing, humans will say one thing, but God, the word of God is what lasts forever and what will prevail. 
Have I offended you? A few of you. Stay with me. I'll get you there. I'm not avoiding it. <laughs> I never have. But my objective is not to offend you. My objective is to provoke you to be the kingdom people that you're called to be. To live that kingdom lifestyle you're called to live. That's my objective. Please hear that in the heart of what I want to share with you. And it is crucial that we walk that out. It's crucial that we see what we are here, what we are called to be and called to do. And let me tell you something. Atrophy will try to set into the church. Atrophy will try, as I was sitting there this morning, the Lord spoke to me and tell, said, tell them to shake off atrophy. Atrophy sets in. You don't even know it's there. All of a sudden, you just realize stuff isn't working like it's supposed to. It just ease, it sneaks in. It's the leaven. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. It just sneaks in and you don't even realize it's happened. This is a church that is made to press in. Your fighters, your contenders. That's what God's called you to be. Be that. And if we move to the place where we're just moving to a place of, of blind compliance, we'll give away the kingdom in doing it. Trust me, I watch it. Many NGOs throughout the Muslim world go with good intentions, but now they don't preach the gospel, they don't share the gospel anymore, and their statement that they're constantly making is, is that we cannot do that and stay in the country, so they slowly make little concessions to where they give away the preaching of the gospel, and then all they're doing is relief work. You know, I can drill pumps and give people water that'll die and go to hell if I don't share Jesus with them. I can pray for people and see them get healed and not share Jesus with them and they'll die and go to hell with that healed limb. Think about it. Were you expecting me to be nice? <laughs> oh, man. Turn with me your Bibles to John chapter 2. I was just in Af came back from Afghanistan. I'll share the part of my incarceration and escape tonight. I'm not going to share that this morning. Yeah. Um, but the point leading up to that was all of it was miraculous. And um, all of it was incredible. I'm, I've, I've never had so many prophetic words before going to a nation about my own demise. Never had to, you know, you just see it get, oh, another encouraging word about me being killed there. That's what, <laughs> and, and, and I don't doubt them. I wasn't going, no, I don't believe that's true. You got to remember, we were talking, uh, hanging out with uh, the Cochran's and, and the, yesterday that, that the, you know, here, Paul gets this prophetic word, you know, if you go, Agabus, if you go, you're going to die. You know, you're, you'll be in prison and you'll be killed. And he's like, I can do that. You know what I mean? I mean, he doesn't get scared off. He's still thinking, he's still having the sense, but that's my mission. My mission is to go and lay my life down for the sake of the gospel. Now, we wouldn't have half of the New Testament had that not happened to him. Think about that. So, I mean, at some point, you, you, you keep the mission for it. Why? Because the pursuit of your own safety will eliminate your kingdom advancement. You can't, you can't go there. You know, you can't, can't just give it away. And, and then all of a sudden, turn back and see the, see the loss. And people were telling me, you know, I think I had eight or nine prophetic words. If you go there, you'll die. 
people from Afghanistan, we, we had dreams. Our children had dreams and visions of the Taliban coming in, slitting your throat in the middle of the night, killing you. Other people, they saw the guards coming in, shoot me in my bed. And, uh, and, and I was like, okay. So what are you going to do? I'm going. Why? Because somebody needs to go. The gospel needs to be shared. People need to be equipped. It's not, about, it's not about our safety. It's not about that. It's about the advancement of the kingdom. And I mean, that's what we have to keep first and foremost. This sounds like it doesn't relate, but it actually does. And I want, to, I want you to see this. In the first one, it says, the next day. Now, I'm telling you of something of an extreme situation, but let's look at an everyday situation. But I want you to see risk being taken in an everyday situation. The next day, there was a wedding and celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. John 2, 1, in case I didn't say that. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. How many of you have been to a wedding? I mean, weddings are just a common thing, right? You know, you get an invite. We, we get, I don't know, probably a dozen invitations to weddings every year, and then, you know, go to maybe... None. <laughs> no, no, we'll go to one or two, maybe something like that. You know, you get invited, you know, you get invited to perform the weddings. And, and so, you know, the wedding, celebra- the wedding is, is a typical thing that you, you go to. It's just, a, it's kind of a, almost not an everyday occurrence, but a normal occurrence, right? So this is a normal situation. Now we know that on, in this passage, Jesus, there's not been a recorded miracle that Jesus has performed yet. Okay. What we're about to see is his first public at least miracle it doesn't say there's been any up till this point and so but we know that this is at least his first public probably his first that he's performed disciples are there his family's there they're hanging out having a good time it says the wine supply ran out during the festivities so all of a sudden they run out of wine so jesus mother told him they have no more wine now, let me point something out here. Let me, let me preach this kind of from a pastoral perspective. Mary is right now functioning in this, in this thing, in this, what she's doing here. She's functioning as an intercessor. And what is an intercessor? An intercessor sees a need and knows where the need can be met, and they sort of bring the two together. They bring the need to the one who can meet the need. That may be in different Areas You may know a cheap mechanic when somebody can't afford a expensive, but you go like, I know a shade tree mechanic, as my dad used to say. Does anybody use that term anymore? Um, you're like, shade, what? All right. And, you know, just somebody doing it out of their garage or whatever that's a mechanic that's going to be cheaper, that's going to be more affordable, and somebody can't afford And you're like, hey, I got a guy. Well, you're really kind of an intercessor. You know the person who can meet that need of somebody who, who, who is in distress, who's in duress and needs help. And that's what Mary does. She hears, she recognizes a need, and she's going to Jesus as the one who can meet the need, who can, who can help fulfill the need. She approaches him and she says, they have no more wine. Why is she approaching Jesus? Is there an expectation of a miracle? The scripture doesn't say she doesn't come and say, hey, you need to pony up and put some power out right now. You know what I mean? You, you know, come on. Do your thing. She doesn't say, what, and what even makes her think there's a possibility of that? 
You know, maybe when she's like run his bathwater as a little boy, she walks in and catches him walking on the water or parting the water. Or maybe, you know, all of a sudden, you know, he his, it has a glass of milk and he wants chocolate milk and it hasn't been invented yet. So he's like, stirs his finger, it becomes chocolate milk because, you know, he's brown, he's from the Middle East. He, I don't know, you know. All this, for some reason, he comes up with, she's like, he can do something about this. She hasn't, according to scriptures, he hasn't seen any miracles performed. But what she's saying to, what she's doing and just approaching Jesus is she's presenting a need and she's expecting something to happen. Okay? And this is key. Now, Jesus' response, now, that's on the spiritual side. Let's look at the natural side. Jesus is... Of the in the birth order of Mary and Joseph, where is he in the birth order? Oldest son, right? He's the oldest son. He's the oldest, period. But he's the oldest of their children, and he's the oldest son. So he would be the person who would oversee the family finances or make decisions of that, oversee the sort of the family. That would naturally, being of Middle East descent, that would naturally fall to him. That's how they operated. So maybe she's coming and saying, hey, would you kick in a few extra bucks to buy a few extra bottles of wine? Maybe that, from the natural, maybe that's her approach. The scripture doesn't say, so we can lean more to the fact that maybe there's expectancy in something else. Now listen to what happens. Jesus' response to his mother is a response I never, ever stated to my mother ever in my entire life. Dear woman, you know, it's, I, I never looked at my mother and said, dear woman, that never happened. You know, I just never responded. Now, the next phrase I responded many times, that's not my problem. You know, dear woman, that is not my problem. Jesus replied, now notice this, what he says, my time has not yet come. Van, I didn't get to make this point in the first service, but I'm hoping to make it here, and I'm making it more for you than for anybody, for what I'm about to say, (laughs) because of our discussions of the past of things. All of a sudden, you see a picture here of Jesus acknowledging a dispensation. My time has not yet come. And the dispensation says, this starts here, ends here, and doesn't continue, basically. And so he's saying, my time has not yet come. So from the thinking of, you know, sovereign work, that it's in this time element and cannot happen outside of that time element, yet, I'll cut to the chase, yet, he disrupts the dispensation. Because he's Lord of it. He doesn't have to submit to it because he's Lord of it. So even though he tips his hat to a dispensational thinking, he also breaks it. He also disrupts the dispensation, which I think is very significant. And I think that's, I think that's a passage that a lot of people don't catch in from dispensational perspective. If you're going, what's dispensational perspective? You'll just have to look it up. I don't have time to break that down. But all of a sudden... But his mother told him, his mother turned to the servants. He says, my time has not yet come, which means what? No. This is his polite way of telling his mother, no, right? Would you agree to that? He's saying, no, this is my time hasn't come. This is not the right time. Now, Mary responds like any mother. She ignores her son. <laughs> <laughs> she just totally ignores him. 
And she turns around, Jesus, uh, she turns around to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. Now, what I love about this, she doesn't argue with him, but she is contending. She's pressing in. You know, we'll pray things like, Lord, we've got a plan for our service. You can come and disrupt it any way you want, but we're not necessarily inviting you to do that. We're not, we're not necessarily making space for you to do that, but you can, if you really want to, ask our permission first. You know, I'm not saying here, but there's a, I used to pray like that when I pastored a church. Lord, you can come and interrupt any time, but I'm following this plan here. Rather than stopping saying, God, I don't care about my plan. I don't care what I put in place. I need you so much. It doesn't just tear the whole thing apart. You just, Seriously. And I get in, we start worship, and I just say, we're stopping right now because we have got, I am desperate for God, and I don't care what you think. I don't care if all the visitors leave. I am a man desperate for God, and I am crying out until I get it. And until we do, we're not breaking free from this worship set, and we are crying out and contending. Now listen to this. She's pressing in. Do whatever he tells you. Now Jesus could have looked at the disciples and said, hey, or excuse me, the servants said, hey, take five. You guys have been working hard. You need a break. Go take a break. She said, do whatever, whatever he tells you. But what Mary is doing here is she's persevering, but she's also contending in expectancy. She is going, I'm expecting you to show up. Now, let me tell you something. We sort of think, well, why doesn't God just, why do we have to do, you know, because God likes it when we are just determined that he's going to show up. He likes it when we're just like, you know what? I don't care. I, I mean, you're going to show up because I need you. I'm desperate for you. My heart cries out. My flesh yearns for you. I just need you to just show up. And I'm, I'm not breaking away from this place until you do. There's something about that that just attracts the heart of the Father. And I mean, it's a place that we need to be in. Do whatever he tells you. Now listen, there's times that that's gonna be an easy thing. Again, Jesus could have said, take five, but that's not what he did. Jesus could have said, hey, you guys have been working? But that's not what he did. Jesus acted on the intercessor, the one crying out, pressing in. He responds to, why? Because there's something of, I'm telling you, perseverance is key to see breakthrough come. I'm not quitting, I'm not giving up. I'm I'm contending, I'm persevering, I'm fighting. There's just something about that that's just powerful. It's powerful. And we got to be in that place. And, you know, training people in this, as I said, it was in Afghanistan. And, you know, when I was going there, but I was going back in December, um, the year before, I had taken my family to Pakistan. I don't know where you spent Thanksgiving year before last, but we were in Islamabad. Great tourist location. <laughs> we're sneaking down these back paths. I mean, Islamabad, you know, you have... Uh, Lahore is, is sort of the safest area. Uh, Karachi is a little bit more, but then Islamabad is like clo- you're closer to the Afghan line 
and there's a lot more of the Taliban in that area just north of there. It's, it's, it's a lot more risky. It's a lot more. And so took my family there, and, and I'm telling you what, broadening my kids' worldview, where we're having to look at them as we're making our way to these churches, telling our nine-year-old, you can't say a word. Because if they hear anybody speak English, we could be taken or we could be beaten or we could even be killed. You gotta, there was, you know, expo- our kids looking out the hotel window and going, why are there guys with rifles stand, you know, standing on top of buildings right across the street pointing our direction? You know, and they're like, well, that's them saying hello. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, and, and explosions going off, all this stuff. But all of a sudden, man, my, I took my kids uh, before earlier that year to Turkey and they, they, they were like, yeah, Turkey's great. We love Pakistan. Second most dangerous country in the world. And they were like, we love it. We love, take us back there. We love it there. My son goes into this church. We're having to walk across, you know, like these rooftop, you know, to get to this building that's got to be isolated out of the way. They're like, where are the church signs? I'm like, there are no church. So you can't have a church sign in here. You know, going through these dark paths, you know, covering up and, and then finally going in and, and in this tiny little room, 200 people crammed in. And my nine-year-old son looking and going, where's the children's ministry? And I'm like, you see all those kids sitting up at the feet of the speaker at the front row? That's the children's church. Go on, go to children's church, <laughs> you know. And they loved every minute of it. Man, we got to broaden our kids' worldview, we got to see. We got to see people. We got to expand their thinking. But back to Afghanistan. All of a sudden, we were going to go uh, for this past Christmas. You have. N- you will never understand the value of Christmas until you go to the underground church in these dangerous countries and watch how they celebrate Christmas. Before the Lord, I swear to you, you will never say Happy Holidays again as long as you live. You never will. You won't go middle of the road. You won't. I'm telling you, they have a value and an understanding. Like, we, we don't even touch it. We're so consumed by consumerism and everything. We, have, we don't even understand the value like they do. It's incredible. And so all of a sudden, where we were doing, but then as soon as we decided to go, all these explosions started happening. They started blowing up. The Taliban started moving. The Taliban had never penetrated or been in this particular area, but they circled the entire city where we were going. This is a place where we want to start a school, one of our schools of power evangelism. They were circling the entire place, and I mean, there was all these explosions going around the city. And the guys there were like, Robbie, we really don't think, you know, that you should bring your family at this time. I said, okay, fine, I'll come. And they were like, can you wait a few weeks? And I'm like, fine, I'll wait a few weeks. And so I waited a few weeks. I went instead in the middle of January. And so we went there, and again, uh, the explosions were continuing. They had not, this, this part of the country had never experienced that. But Iran was moving in and has been taking over this city, has been taking over this part of the country, honestly. And so we go there, and I thought, well, I'm going to do training wheels with them first. And so we, we did a, a few small groups of believers that needed healing, and I was training them, you know, to pray for healing. You got to realize, you don't have people there that have been serving God for 20 years. Those people have all been killed a long time ago. You don't have 40-year-old believers. They're people that have been believers for that time, but they're all dead now. ISIS came in and wiped them all out. And so these are primarily young believers, new, very new Christians, 
And so we're sitting there training them and then we're taking and we're praying and we're seeing these Christians get healed. I mean, we're seeing people that had, you know, bent, bowed legs straighten up right in front of our eyes. You know, legs grow out, you know, blind eyes, people with very white cataracts on their eyes just disappear and, and completely be healed. I mean, blind blindness being healed, deaf ears uh, being completely healed. I mean, it was, it was stunning. And watching, watching these guys, and I told them, I said, this is good training for you because Christians are the harder ones. I said, you wait till we go out in the marketplace with the, with the unbelievers. Your, your mind's going to be blown. And so then we went, we moved from that to uh, praying for uh, uh, unbelievers. Can you put up those two pictures we had for the, for the previous service? Just to show a couple of them. Um, all of a sudden we, well, yeah, this is, this was my little subtle t-shirt that I wear when I'm in that part of the world, you know? It's not provocative at all. I mean, this will actually get you killed there. You know what I mean? I mean, just like that statement alone is incredibly provocative. They're very, it's very hostile uh, language to them. But at the same time, you know, demonstrating when you go there and you're doing healing in the streets and you're doing that and you're wearing that, that's kind of hard to argue with. You know what I'm saying? And so all of a sudden, you know, we, but I was going to show another picture because it's a little more subtle and then it works up to that picture, but we'll just go for the throat. And so I'm, I'm walking around, we're praying for people. This is in the heart of Afghanistan. And, and uh, in, this, in this, particular, uh, this particular area, I just, we stepped out. I just got out of the car and one of the guys said, hey, let me take a quick picture. He snaps the picture. And then I just started praying and I said, Jesus, we invite your presence here. Jesus, we call for an extension of your kingdom here and breakthrough and that many are gonna give their lives to you today and for the healing that's gonna happen in the name of you. Short prayer, less than a minute. And with it, by the time I was done saying it, there were 15 people that, were, that circled me. And they didn't even hear what I said. You know why? The atmosphere is thirsty for the name of Jesus because it's not spoken there. Just the atmosphere itself, the creation itself is longing to hear his name. And it just draws his creation to him. It, I'm telling you, before the Lord, that's exactly what happened. And they just started circling around, and I said, all right, who here needs healing in your body? Where do you have pain? Where do you have? And this one guy's like, I have a really bad back. I can't bend. And I said, all right. And I brought one of my guys over who has only been a Christian for two weeks. He said, put your hand here. Repeat after me. He prays the guy's back's instantly healed. As soon as we're done praying that, 15 more around us. We're like, we got now about 30 people surrounding us start praying for, getting these guys to pray for them one after another. I'm, of course, speaking English, and they're translating into Dari and, and praying for them, which is a version of Farsi, and they're praying for them. They're seeing people get healed. Had a guy with a broken jaw who gets healed. Another guy that was blind on the streets gets healed. A guy that couldn't even speak, he was completely mute, was, was totally healed. All of a sudden, and then all of a sudden, we're surrounded by 50 people. Now, by this time, my juices are pumping, and I'm like, I am open-air preaching right now I'm in the most dangerous country in the world where the Taliban is surrounded there's no way in or out and I'm like this is it this is my sweet spot I am jacked and pumped and ready and they're like Robbie don't do it right now this is the first day and they're like come on man you said you were gonna give us training wheels we don't even know what that means but please go slowly and so I'm like, Jesus is healing you right now. He's touching you and he's demonstrating he is God. 
He's not just an ascended prophet. He is God. And so then they're like, we got we to gotta go. So we slipped over to this car. Can you show the picture of the car? So we slipped over to this car. And so we were just doing drive-bys. And so this is uh, the, the young guy I was training. I was giving him words. This is the guy whose jaw was broken. He's praying for him. His jaw was instantly healed. Uh, we were going one by one. There was one of these young men that was a 17-year-old young man that had broken his leg and had splints. Uh, had, had these splints, these two sticks with rags wrapped around his, uh, wrapped around the sticks in his leg. And that was his cast because in this area they have no casts. And so he was in his, and they never reset the leg. They don't even, I mean, the, you, the medicine there is the most bare minimum thing that you've ever seen. And I, you know, I can't help but thinking in my mind the entire time, man, God, you have to get us back to this, to where we start depending on your power and start, stop depending on man-made substances. Is that what has to happen? To where we start believing you're actually Lord over these bodies again? So all of a sudden, we, we pray for this leg, and you could hear it pop. And the kid's like, hang on. And he, he had these crutches where he's holding these sticks. He didn't, there, there wasn't a hand. They were, they were hand-carved. And he's holding these sticks to break it, brace himself as crutches. And he unwraps the leg. He starts walking around. He's like, the pain's completely gone. Like, there's no pressure. There's no problem. Then he starts running around. Well, about that time, there was a guy in a shop who had persecuted these two guys that I was with for being Christians. And he gets mad and he, he had beaten one of them before and he grabs his stick to come out to do it again. And as he's walking out of his shop, he sees this kid that he knows who has the broken leg get healed. And he just stands there and the, the guy that's with me, he goes, oh, this guy's bad, he's mean, He'll, he's terrible to us. He's like, he's a very, very strict Muslim guy. He goes, he goes we, better, we better get in the car now. And, and I said, well, he's just standing there watching. And he was just, his jaw was dropped because he knew the kid and he knew it, what it, that he'd broken his leg two days before. I'll come back to that story tonight. Don't forget it. You don't want to miss it tonight. Cliffhanger, there it is. No spoiler alerts. But all of a sudden we move to the car, we're seeing all these, and then the car gets completely circled, and they're like, Robbie, we gotta get out of here. This is too, this is too dangerous. They said we may not even be able to drive away at this point, and if they turn on us, and we had already led, you know, like about ten of them to Christ already by this time and prayed for you know a bunch of them and and then seen them healed probably about 20 and seen them healed and so i was like okay okay this is enough let's go and so so we went away and i would train them at different times of the day we were alternating days and locations because that's what you have to do in the underground church you can't do it at the same place at the same time and i, I wish oh man i don't have time to go into this but man i love the language the language of the underground church when they speak of Jesus and they're speaking to where it's kind of code, they're like, let's invite our older brother to come here and to do what he does best. Let's invite our older brother to come and show us how this works. And they're speaking of Jesus. It's just powerful when you hear them start talking like that. And on and on and on we went. We saw so many people healed. Word spread over the entire country Throughout this underground church network, we were getting messages from Kandahar, from all over, which is strongly held by the Taliban. All over the country, we were getting all these messages of people saying, come here, please, please don't leave the country before you come and train us. Don't leave the, please come here, come here. They were begging and pleading from all over. I'll tell you more about that tonight. Look at the strategy and what Jesus does. This is so powerful. 
Mary says, do whatever he tells you. Expectancy. Why did we go there? Expectancy. We're expecting God to show up. Did we have guns? Did we have security? No. Why? We got the Holy Ghost. It's the best security in the world. Standing nearby were six stone, verse six. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for the Jewish ceremonial washing. Each would hold 20 to 30 gallons of water. So these ceremonial jars are like this, maybe this big. These aren't five gallon buckets. These 20 to 30 gallons of water, six of them. And how that worked in the Jewish ceremonial washing is when you would come in, there's no pavement, there's no concrete sidewalks, there's no blacktop. You would cut dirt everywhere. So your clothes are dirty, your feet are dirty, everything's dirty because that's all there is, dirt around. So they'd come in, you'd start with the first pot, wash off there, then you would move to the second pot, wash there. By the time you got, that, this is the ceremonial washing, by the time you got to the sixth pot, that water was cleaner, whereas the first pot and the pots in between would be sludge and mud. Because everybody washes off in those 20 to 30 gallons each. Does that make sense? So Jesus looks and tells the servants, Go dump out the water, wash them out, and fill them up. Is that what he says? No. Why? That would take hours and hours and hours because they'd have to roll them over to some well, and they'd have to wash them out and then fill, 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 roll them back. I mean, that would be way too much. Jesus doesn't say that. What does he say? Fill the jars with water. In other words, top them off. Now, when you pour fresh water into muddy, sludgy water, what happens? It stirs up all the junk. So this is dirty, nasty feet water. You get the picture? This is dirty, nasty water. He just says, top it off. He doesn't say empty it out and fill it up. Let me tell you something. Right now, this makes the miracle even greater. Seriously, look where it goes. He says, fill it up, fill them up. And when the jars had been filled, now notice Jesus never tells them the whole thing. Have you ever noticed God just tells you one step at a time? You know why? Because if he tells you the end, it'll scare you. You won't do it. <laughs> Think about it. He just tells you one step at a time. Okay, this, now this, now this, this is what he's doing here. Fill the jars with water. When the jars were filled, he said, now dip some out of the dirty feet water. And take it to the master of the ceremonies. I think they were fighting for whoever got to do this. <laughs> oh, me, 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 me. No. I think they're like, you know what? We got a teenage kid over there. Uh, that 15-year-old servant. Yeah, he does it. He's the junior. He, get, get over. You take that nasty foot water to the master. of the. If anybody's going to be beaten, it's going to be you, not us. It's a miracle that they follow through and do it. That's a part of the miracle. So the servants followed his instructions. Can you imagine? I think that kid's hand was shaking. Oh, dear God. He's going to beat me. This is going to be it. I'm gonna, this is terrible. Going over, and I, I imagine going, just let me say it first. This was not my idea. The others made me do those Nazarenes. You know those guys are from the wrong side of the tracks. They made 
this, if this was not our idea, please don't beat me. As he hands him the dirty foot water, has it become wine yet? No. When the master of the ceremony tasted the water that was now wine, what was required? Expectancy, command, obedience, follow through. Tasted the master of the ceremonies, tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where to come from, though of course the servants knew. Who were the eyewitnesses? The lowest ones at the wedding. The least valued at the wedding. Isn't that just so like God? That's just how he works. He does the testimony to, for the very least to be the witnesses to it. He tastes the water. Does Jesus ever touch the water? No. He doesn't get anywhere near it. When the master of the ceremony tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over and said, a host always serves the best wine first. And then when everybody's hammered, that's what my version says, When everybody's had a lot to drink, then he brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best till now. Do you see the power of this story? Jesus doesn't just turn water into wine. He turns nasty foot water that should have been thrown out into the finest wine. Isn't that our testimonies? And he doesn't do it by his hand. He does it by the obedience of the servants. He does it in their hands. He wants to work the miracle in your hands. This is not a safe thing he's telling them to do. It's risky. They're putting themselves out there. There's nothing safe about it. Don't play it safe if you want to see the miraculous. We'll talk about living that more of risk tonight. I mean, you guys know, that's like, I think I've talked about it from the very first time I ever came here and it's still a common. You just take every sermon I preached here and just put it all together as one big long series, (laughs) the risk series. Do you wanna see the best wine? Do you wanna see God use you to the best, the most powerful, one of the most creative miracles? Stop living in safety. Don't play it safe. I'm not saying be unwise. I'm not saying be stupid. I'm saying be wise. But step out and risk. Step out. You, you, you are the solution to everyone around you who doesn't know Jesus. You are the answer. You're his or his response to everyone around you who doesn't know Christ. You're the only hope they have. You are an ambassador of hope to an area and a place where they need it so bad. Live that. Be that. Shake off the atrophy that would settle in. Shake off complacency that would try to settle in and press in, contend for the great miraculous work that God has always intended to do through you. 
and don't settle for anything else. Will you stand? If you have children, you should go get them. I'm moved by the stories that I read of of missionaries and priests who would go into leper colonies and give their lives to preach the gospel and and go to places where there's extreme disease or extreme place where they, they knew that they could die. And yet they did it. Because they understand there's so much more than what's just in this life. There's so much more to living than what we just see in the days that we breathe and live here. You are God's answer to city, community, global transformation. You are God's answer. Be that answer. Be that solution. My hosts that were there in Afghanistan, they, there were nine people in one house. Every one of them had, I call it the CCP virus. We should call it the kingdom of darkness virus. Start giving it, stop giving it some cute medical or scientific name. It's straight from the pits of hell. Every one of them had it. And they were like, we're going to try to find other lodging for you. I said, absolutely not. I'm here to bring healing to you. I'm here to bring transfer. I will not leave this home. I refused. That may sound stupid to you. I never got it. Be a super spreader. Of the gospel. Let's redeem that term. I hate it when the devil comes up with good terms that we should have. How did a virus take center stage in the entire world and the church can't? How did that happen? We've abdicated. Don't abdicate. Put Jesus on display, as my friend Brian Blount says. Put Jesus on display. And let's take these, community, these communities back for the kingdom of God. Father, I pray that everyone here, that we would live in a place of radical boldness and where fear has tried to hold us captive to, to see that broken. Matter of fact, I just said this in the first service. If, you, if you've been struggling with fear about anything, I want you to come forward right now. Don't be ashamed to do that. Maybe you've been struggling with fear about health or finances or family, but if you've been battling fear or if you've been having any issues of anxiety, anything like that, just come down. Don't, 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 be, don't, don't be worried about doing that. You are ambassadors of hope. You are, not, you are not called to be bound by fear. That is not God's will for you. And that's just the enemy attacking you because he's afraid of you. He's threatened by you. He sees you a threat 
to his kingdom, and so he's coming at you with fear. Now, here's the thing of it is. People ask me, see me in these places in the world, and they're like, well, you don't have any fear. You're fearless. That is not true. I feel fear just like you, just like everybody else. I just refuse to obey it. Fear is not going to be Lord in my life. I feel it. It's there. My heart races. I'm like, (laughs) but I will not yield to it because fear is a liar. And my feeling of it is an acknowledgement that it is the manifestation of that spirit. It is an awareness that that spirit is there, and therefore I'm called to bind it and cast it out. Do that. Enemies targeted you with fear because he sees you're a threat. So step into that. When you feel fear about something, just go, aha, here's my assignment. Father, I just thank you for these mighty warriors that the enemy knows he has to come after and try to intimidate because they are a massive threat to your kingdom, Satan. And I declare them as a threat, and I declare them as that, and I break the power of the spirit of fear. Fear you are a liar, and you will be obeyed no more. We will obey you and yield to you no more. And from here on out, when we feel it, we will bind it and command it to leave because you are not to have any part with us. So we bind that spirit of fear. We break its power. Any, any chemical imbalances and systems that would cause anxiety, we command those, those balances to come into order. We command the body chemistry to line up. But anything that is just being motivated by the spirit of fear, we break its power now in the mighty name of Jesus And we say to you now, and speak this out loud, fear, I will obey you no more. Jesus is my Lord. I've been made more than a conqueror. I've been made victorious through Christ. Spirit of fear, you go now. You have no place in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, standing back, extend your hand to these here. Father, we thank you for a fresh sense of empowerment and authority and victory over every work of the enemy. In the mighty name of Jesus, and we just say no more, no more, no more of this intimidation of fear or worry, no more. And we declare complete and total freedom and release in the mighty name of Jesus. Be filled right now. Jesus' mighty name. Jesus' mighty name. We just break every, every, every attack of the enemy. Every attack of the enemy. Every attack of the enemy. Every attack over finances and family. Be filled right now. Be filled with it right now. In the mighty name of Jesus, we just declare victory. Father, and these is victorious warriors for you and for the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' mighty name.